0: All right, I'm ready if you're ready.
1: I am super ready. So we are literally the last session of MCN. Am I right? Yeah. Thank you for sticking with us. Yeah. Thank you. We're going to have a good conversation. I hope that we leave in a high note for you.
0: Yeah, so really excited to chat about one of the most exciting, vibrant topics of all time, wayfinding today. It's something, (laughs) it's a problem we all know we have, and it seems like even though Technology is changing everything and they're going to be flying cars next year. We still have trouble finding the bathroom and still have trouble finding the main exhibitions. So we're going to talk a little bit about a couple different aspects. We're going to give you a quick history of wayfinding in museums. We are going to jump into uh, the work that you've been doing at the Detroit Institute mm-hmm. of Arts. And then I'll talk a little bit about what my team has been doing in exploring new forms of wayfinding and then a bunch of big, beefy, chunky questions. Sound good? Yeah. Awesome, awesome, cool. Well, just to start us off with a great little quote about how easy it is to get lost, I love this quote by Mark Twain. The compass in my head has been out of order from my birth. It's very clear regardless of education level or just about age, anything, it's tremendously easy to get lost in a museum. And so, you know, it's, frankly, Safe to say museums are labyrinth. This actually is a labyrinth that wasn't a museum in DC, but you know, uh, regardless of the best signage in the world, the best app in the world, there are always going to be obstacles because of just the way these buildings were constructed and evolved over time. So we felt it would, would be helpful and fruitful to do like a quick, very short flash through as you know, we work in museums and we look back to know how to proceed forward. Like what are the different approaches that have historically taken place, but even before that, I want you to know how real of a problem is. It's made it into dozens of children's books. The amount of books that exist that relate to being lost in the museum and that being a place of anxiety or torture or terror is, is very, very uh, alive and well. There's probably a movie about it also. So moving on to, the, moving on to where, you know, where we've been and where we're gonna go, do you want to talk a little about uh, some of the earliest forms of wayfinding? Oh gosh, we'll so or
1: <laughs> museum, uh, long story short, within our museum, we've had three major expansions. So you can only imagine what that does to the wayfinding aspect, right? So the first building, first of all, it was back when design was not around how people necessarily move within the building. So our very, very first building um, was already a little bit hard to navigate, and then there was one medium uh, size expansion, but then in 2007, we concluded an expansion that tripled the size of the institution.
0: Yeah, At so that
1: point, or, uh, we need to move. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so,
0: so, so just even looking back, you would have been handed a fairly mm-hmm. user-friendly form of wayfinding mm-hmm. material. Um, and then even before that, like looking back historically, I found that most museums you know, didn't even have any form of signage, and I was able to compare and contrast Uh, gallery shots from like a hundred years ago to today and see even that shift. So this is how people used to, you know, make their way around the museum in beautiful outfits, might I add. And then came the, the museum guide, like a printed pamphlet. So I was able to find some instances from the Smithsonian Institute these guys, these things are a hot commodity on eBay. So if you want to like save for your retirement, save all of these things. They'll be worth like three dollars and fifty cents, you know, in a, in a couple of years. But yeah, eBay is a great resource for finding people who hold on to these materials. And then looking at the Met, you know, it slices, it dices, it even folds. People got pretty sophisticated and were like, "Hey, let's create a lightweight folding map." And then you know, the evolution came to digital. So probably seen really, you know, great examples of. Physical wayfinding assistance, uh, you know, we'll talk about a challenge there, is that they're not dynamic, they're in one language, they can be confusing in their own right. Some museums have used directories, do you guys have like some level of directory?
1: We have some directories, but um, because of, it is difficult to navigate even with those directories. Yeah, so,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. And then moving on, there's some uh, sophisticated approaches with kiosks. Uh, This example was from the Asian Art Museum, which I think was presented a year or two ago at Museums in the Web or or MCN, but kind of getting one step forward of saying, and I can only imagine like the board conversations like, I was at an airport and I saw this really great kiosk, why can't we have one? I can just like hear it in my head what the conversation was. You know, we've seen examples like that, then surely Mobile, has so much power at play given all of the you know sensors and inputs and and you know the fact that it's very personal and in the hands of the visitor. So we're going to really dive into that area you know, around Blue Dot. Before this, the work that you guys were doing with Tango, was there a Blue Dot solution um, available? Not
1: at all. I will say that um, what we did with augmented reality, reality really was the first try at moving something like this to digital, and it was a test. So it's been a three-year experiment.
0: So if anyone here has experimented with any form of wayfinding or mapping, has it been the blue dot approach indoor or outdoor? If you'd raise your hands if that's something that your organization's experimented with or or had in place. All ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Cool. Um that's that's really good to know. Um and you know what we're going to now dive into now that you have kind of the abbreviated history of wayfinding from the printed map of the Victorian era to today um My partner over here and co-presenter will share uh, some examples of of what they've been up to in Detroit. So take it away.
1: Yeah, so for those of us uh, that maybe some of you made it to the session that I put together a couple days ago in reporting this, but this has been a three-year project um, within the museum. And we were trying to address a couple of things. So the first one was to meet a content need, but E, this type of technology was experimenting around with indoor wayfinding, so uh, we've been that—that's our museum, long, long, long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've been experimenting with um, indoor wayfinding. Once again, the uh, so this now we use a handheld device. This has been the very, very early days in which we were setting up how we were going to manage this. But what you're seeing on the screen is an augmented reality layer on top of a mummy that it uses persistence technology to understand its position in space, meaning that is, uh, you can move around and the digital object is locked um, in space. And it uses an extra sensor and an extra camera. So this was Project Tango. I don't know if any of you are familiar with it, but this was a project that started like four years ago. It was kind of killed um, about a year ago, and then uh, the consequences of that <laughs> also we, we faced, and I'll talk a little bit about that. but. Um, it's, it uses augmented reality as a layer, so you basically you, you follow it, and then it takes you from point A to point B. In the first year, we tested only in the stops where we had content, so this was about seven stops. Um, and then the, in a later iteration, we added points of interest, and I have stuff to say about how that worked, but yeah, that's what we were testing.
0: So I guess talk a little bit about working you know, with one specific technology, and then the fact that kind of the carpet was pulled from under the feet maybe around Tango.
1: So I, I think that we've had a really wonderful couple of sessions specifically addressing this during mm-hmm. MCN, which is fascinating to, to see that you know it was great and comforting to see that we're not the only ones facing situations like this. Uh, but I understand that different museums are approached by different technologies, and uh, because of how rapidly things are moving, because of the demands that happen, you can, this can happen to you. Um, Emerging technology comes with a risk. Uh, We knew that augmented reality was in the future, and we believed in that, but we knew that uh, startup technologies uh, can be a little bit less reliable. And at this point, uh, we've had a transition right now. So in a moment of transition technologies. Now, this is not to say that persistence technology is not going anywhere, uh, yeah. specifically Tango.
0: Yeah, one little quick tidbit. And I first you know, saw this uh, in Vermont for the, who knows the ice cream company, Ben and Jerry's. So they create a lot of flavors and they kill off a lot of flavors. They physically have a flavor graveyard where they have headstones for every single flavor that they've killed off of the year, And there's this really humorous website, I think it's like googlekilledit.com or something like that, where they have tombstones of all of the different things that they've launched and taken away. Um, Tango certainly being uh, one of them. Um, But yeah, I, I, I think to talk about some of the things that you've learned specifically.
1: So well, I'm not gonna dive too much into the content of the experience. I'll leave that to the side, but let's talk a little bit about the wayfinding. So you have to contextualize that the technology was not mature when we were first uh, applying it. With the content, g- content got like 90 plus percent in, in reviews, really, really positive reviews. Wayfinding was what came lower. Um, as technology progressed, this has been evolving. So. Where technology is today, we're still using Tango until we find a replacement for it. But in the meantime, we've been able to adjust. Mm -hmm. Um, It is not a perfect experience, but it's not a frustrating experience anymore like it was three years ago. And uh, as we know that technology is finally catching up with us, I actually heard a really interesting comment from um, the creators of Pokemon Go. Um, They were uh, sharing along the lines of, um, you know what? Sometimes technology is two years ahead of good content. And I think that that's not necessarily the case in museums. Uh, We have sometimes really, really solid content um, and good dreams. Technology sometimes has to catch up with us. But we found out, and that was clear even in the most frustrating of the experiences, that it, it does not have to be perfect to be meaningful. People were still having really meaningful experiences.
0: Can you talk a little bit about your experiences working specifically with the biggest of the big Google or Alphabet or whatever they're called these days?
1: Well, this isn't a chat rule. (laughs) 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 No, um, I think that uh, you just have to understand who they are truly working for, like what their goals are. Um, Are they to serve your public or are they to test a platform? Um, So I think that that's a, a question that you need to ask yourself. And that's not necessarily you have to shut it down because they are gonna test a platform, you, you can use that, but you need to be aware of that to, uh, to plan accordingly. Uh, so we adjusted to that in some ways.
0: And what, what do you think is the fine line museums, I guess large museums, mid-sized museums, and small-sized small museums should walk around working with emerging technology? I know it was a big topic uh, on the first day here with mm-hmm. the Microsoft uh, Plenary. What are your personal thoughts on that?
1: Um, my personal thoughts is content first, technology second. I, I think that how I will explain this is focus on creating incredible content and dreaming of wonderful experiences and then adapting those as technology come and goes. Um, that way if a platform is shut down, um, if you dream with a good experience, if you have a solid plan, you can then adjust to a different platform or you can adjust to a new partner.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Andrea. Um, cool. So. Um, At this point, I'll talk a little bit about some of the work that my team's been doing in the area of augmented reality-based wayfinding, Um, some of the tools that have been tried in the past, kind of some of our uh, perspective on this topic, and so just even, you know, looking at how AR has kind of leapfrogged forward, it's easier now than ever for organizations to experiment with it in free platforms and commercial platforms and examples like what you're able to do at Detroit Institute of Art are kind of like just the very beginning. Of, of what's to come. And so kind of very philosophically, you know, at my company, we think a lot about, you know, the, you know, the impact AR has on the visitor experience, the museum's ability to create satisfactory or more engaging experience. So we kind of sum it up as if we think of the world as a book, then AR is the digital magnifying glass. Like it gives everybody their own way, their own lens of experiencing the content in different languages, sizes, and contexts. And so then moving forward, we, you know, ran a little, um, let me see if I can pull this video up. Um, kind of as AR became, uh, you know, very easy to implement within existing frameworks, we wanted to see if it was, you know, easy, stable, and reliable, and meaningful to the end user to be able to simply hold up their device with really no interface um, as a first step to you know really understanding if this was easy if it provide value if it's something that people were interested in using so kind of step 1 was like how easy is it for the de- camera on the device to understand what it is looking at. And if that's good enough, what can we build on top of that? And so, um, some of these slides, if you were in the presentation yesterday, you know, there is some overlap. Um, in looking specifically at wayfinding, a lot of the incredible innovation right now is taking place in autonomous uh, vehicles, self-driving cars and otherwise. And just the this, this sheer notion that AR can reduce the mental effort related to kind of the, what the physical view and the digital information, I think is a great way of um, kind of a great way of summarizing you know, summarizing some of those ideas that uh, as we're going from like where I am from a bird's eye view to where I am with the direct path in front of me just makes things almost impossible to get lost. And so applying that to the museum context and applying this notion that everything around us is being cataloged and a carbon copy of the physical world is being created as we speak allows us to create new types of experiences where the hard heavy work um, is is done for us in advance uh, whether it be by the big technology companies or off-the-shelf tools that make it um, easier than ever and i know some of these ideas are kind of baked into tango and some of the you know new tech um, around the corner so you might have seen you know last year Um, or or earlier this year um, at the big Google developer conference that they showcased what's to come for uh, Google Maps, that you would be able to kind of shift into an AR mode where you could be guided through the streets, um, of course being cognizant and cautious about the people and obstacles around you through your camera lens, um, making it that much easier to know where left and right is. If you've ever been to New York City or any big city, it's really easy to get disoriented and and not know which way is north and south when your directions tell you so. So really kind of big steps from big tech are apparent there, but that's only outside right now. So what does that mean indoors where you don't have the same access to GPS and and other, you know, sensory information? So we, you know, as an experimenting, you know, very into experimenting kind of culture we have at at QZM, we wanted to see if we could use the visual information of a museum, uh, you know, gallery to get someone from point A to point B. If we know where a painting is, Um, We know where your absolute position is. We know your orientation, if that's on the east wall, for instance. And so we're able to build a solution that did not rely on beacons, did not rely on Wi-Fi, and did not rely on GPS. And so it kind of points to this future where all of the things that have been incredibly cumbersome or expensive, um, are kind of pushed to the side they're kind of yesterday's technology because you know getting the actual tangible infrastructure is incredibly expensive and leaves small museums and mid-sized museums kind of out in the cold so looking at kind of the power of the camera and what it create, can create is really exciting to us and so some of the things you've probably you know if you've been to mcn or or have looked into the topic like you know, as early as Wi-Fi has existed in museums, there have been people trying to leverage the, um, the signal, kind of fingerprinting the building to, uh, you know, implement some level of WiFi. And I think there was a, an MCN presentation, you know, even over 10 years ago about how the Art Institute of Chicago was leveraging Wi-Fi uh, signal for wayfinding purposes, for Blue Dot. Beacons came along and there was a lot of excitement about how that you know, kind of freed up a lot of um, capabilities with these small, inexpensive sensors, but they certainly weren't mature at the time. Um, they, you know, a lot has progressed. And then there are all sorts of you know, new forms like using LiDAR cameras that tie into a phone that give positioning. Those all rely, kind of that top line, that all relies on some level of hardware. Hardware is expensive and hardware quickly depreciates and becomes obsolete. So those are always going to be a challenge. And then there are things that came along that don't require any hardware, that kind of you know, create a new future where there are tools you can use um, that allow you to basically leverage the uh, Earth's magnetic field and the beams of your building. So essentially geomagnetic information uh, that your phone has to be able to help guide people around the museum or provide information. That requires no hardware other than the hardware that already exists. Earth already exists, building already exists, and then dead reckoning, basically you know, anchoring to one point and using the previous location to um, give the current location. So things in that area and then lastly machine vision which is more in line with what I uh, showed that video of leveraging uh, what the camera has the ability to understand and see and react from. So there's been so many conversations around um, artificial intelligence and its impact on museums. Uh, There's some amazing sessions yesterday. This kind of falls under the umbrella. The machine vision concept falls under the umbrella of AI. Um, and so I've done a lot of research and experimentation, and, and wrote a piece. If anyone's interesting uh, interested in the topic about how AR is going to kill the Maps Blue Dot, uh, that was Venture renaming of the piece that I wrote. A um, little bit of clickbait there. But if you're interested in kind of how we approach the problem, um, there are some resources online where we talk about you know the influences, the challenges, um, our specific approach in the in the museum context. And so is this a new lens? Should there be a new lens? Should we have devices like this guiding our visitors around? These are all philosophical questions that museums are asking, whether it be the digital team, the visitor services staff, or the director. And it's all going to be, at the end of the day, what your visitor, you know, what helps your visitor um, achieve what they're looking to achieve. And that's to have a great experience at your museum. So, uh, a couple questions here that we want to dive into. you know uh if you want to jump on the first one is you know how will the digital uh change the wayfinding experience kind of the the intersection of the physical world and the digital world
1: i think i'm glad that you mentioned the physical world because i'm still a really strong believer of um, redundancy when it comes to these types of matters and i and i have i've had specific reasons why, and it's because I happen to be a person of color, and I happen to come from uh, communities that have been marginalized before. So I know that it is, there are people around me, I've I worked with enough people in Detroit that either they do not have an access to a phone, or if they do, they don't have an access to a really good data plan that can support certain experiences. So I'd say have that in mind as you're moving forward with projects because um, i i personally like that uh, is more like cab options so that your community is the one choosing uh but more than one option mm-hmm.
0: yeah so it's, it's it's great that you bring that up like the socioeconomic implications of mm-hmm. tools like these is probably one of the last things on many people's minds so that's a really important thing to mention it's going to vary by your community and your philosophy on all of that um you know, is it inevitable, and I think you kind of answered that, Andrea, like, is it inevitable that we'll always have printed maps and printed signage, Mm -hmm. like even, you know, 50 years from now when when our glasses possess the capability of overlaying information?
1: And I'm really excited to say that I have seriously no idea. I'm, (laughs) I'm really excited to say that because this is 100% not up to us, this is 100% up to our audience and how they respond to us. So I think that what it will be bad is if we are trying to prescribe and and dictate what's gonna be the only way, Um, but being in the listener side, it's been pretty effective. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I feel similarly that regardless of what technology is able to do or printed you know, map is able Mm -hmm. to do or printed signage that's on the actual physical building walls, you know, it's going to be preference oriented if people, like if it's their number one priority to have someone walk them around because they feel more Mm -hmm. comfortable. It feels like museums are always going to need to, you know, play to those different options. Mm -hmm.
1: Plus understanding that you have different audiences with different learning uh, situations, skills, uh, opportunities. So uh, you have some people that will be pretty tech savvy and will be literally expecting some pretty awesome tools there. And then you're going to have people that want nothing to do with technology.
0: Mm. And then, you know, what does the next generation of experience look like when it's impossible to get lost? If that ever is the case where, you know, the, the tools are sophisticated enough and the accuracy is there. I know that we've all struggled with, you know, accurate readings for showing people where they are and getting them to where they are. So it feels like an impossibility, but we know someday given Everything that's happening around us, and additionally with like moore 's law, that it will someday be like down to the centimeter accurate it might not be today, yeah. it might be five years or mm-hmm. ten years, but it will be come for someone using these tools impossible to get lo- get lost so is that and
1: that's fascinating is that is that crazy thought is that crazy thought uh, and i I love how crazy that thought is um i I'd say that um I have no idea, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, but uh, it's a really interesting situation, and and I wonder if it will be kind of like when we got access to all information via internet, like I I wonder if there's any correlations that that will happen translated to that, that once you're 100% able. And I wonder less about how that affects you moving around as much as if you did not have the tools, could you still move around? You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: yeah. One of the interesting things, I was uh, talking to a couple of people yesterday who were sharing some of their net promoter score, um, the implications of getting lost or the implications of getting arriving at a closed gallery or something that was supposed to be open that's been blocked off for like a gala. And that basically you know, had such a negative impact where it's like when these things come to be, and it might be five years from now, the ability to like smart reroute someone to an area, if there's too many people, and if we know for a fact when there's too many people and someone can't see the painting or whatever the specific thing that they're hoping to see is, then they have a negative reaction. It just Hmm. is human nature. Do you see a day when we'll get there?
1: You know what, now that you're mentioning it, that's super interesting because I think that happened with internet, you know? There was a point in which everybody was throwing internet pages no matter what, and there was a, a, We've gone through that process, right, in which we're curated curating the content a little bit more closely, so that it is effective. Um, so I wonder if once we have all of the tools, um, so at that point, how we're curating that experience, I can see us getting into more curating that way-finding experience. Yeah, because mm-hmm.
0: it feels like if all of the technical challenges are eliminated, you have like so much free mental space to to think about the things that actually matter. And you, you know, I have I'm a saying. one
1: post-apocalyptic, yeah. uh, post-apocalyptic thought here, which is, and it might never happen, but I wonder how humans evolve in, like, if not doing certain skills, uh, now your brain is evolving to adapt to your world in new ways, and mm-hmm. I am no longer to remember the phone numbers of my friends. So right. I wonder how that translates into this. Yeah, that's, that's,
0: <laughs> that's interesting. Well, and, you know, I think this is kind of pointing in that five-year, ten-year time frame. Like right now we're talking a lot about the technology of today, the emerging technology, you know, being fully aware that we want to protect ourselves from locking into things that might become obsolete, might die, might change and have content that can live on forever in whatever form. So like a lot of people are looking to, you know, smart glasses and you know, when that day comes, and I know some folks have said like five years, 10 years, some people are pushing for next year. Um, who knows? I think there's like a, no one will ever know what the answer is there, but what will, the conversations be at like the board level, you know, when the director's like, I don't want these things in the gallery, or the director's Mm. like, these are great, Uh, my niece got me a pair, and now I can learn everything (laughs) around me. Um, I'm
1: afraid that because of the marketing push, uh, that we will be dealing much more with focusing on ethically managing what we're presenting to people in that way, you know, Uh, because, you know, Just like augmented reality, uh, some curators are getting really excited for it to be a dumping ground of literally all materials that is available. You you see, it's a question that I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: that's an interesting question. and that's, that's, you know, that's it, that's where we'll end the conversation. Yes. But actually, this is the, the beginning of the end, mm-hmm. and we'll jump into some questions and, mm-hmm. and hear your thoughts. It and
1: is I'll give just one, st- one last statement, which is I am super excited to, for all of us to be prepared of how the world is changing pretty, pretty rapidly. And it's one of the things that is inevitable. Um, I know that we're addressing um, this type of technology. So it's really good to dive into it as, as early as you can. Mm-hmm.
0: Excellent. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you
1: mentioned geomagnetic magnetic and dead uh, uh ways of, uh, uh, you know, to uh, like technology solutions. Can you uh, name any examples that you can recall?
0: Yeah, a lot of. So the ones, the two primary spaces where I'm seeing just unbelievable amounts of indoor wayfinding uh, examples coming from are going to be airports and malls. And so there is a company, and I'm not up here to like name drop vendors and stuff like that, but um, uh, if it's helpful, there's a company called Indoor Atlas, and they are one of the companies paving the way or leading the way around the electromagnetic. If you go on their website, it's mostly airports. So I think like Miami International Airport and mall, uh, the Mall of America, and like really large spaces where wayfinding is, you know, a tremendous challenge that they that they want to overcome. And then there's, you know, they're revenue-driven venues. So there's also the economics of it. But um, yeah, that specific company, I think if you Google them, you'll find a lot of interesting inputs. And then just like. Wayfinding in general, I say it because I see your Warsaw sticker, like, uh, there are a couple companies in Poland that are creating really, really um, transformational location-based technologies like Estimote mm-hmm. and Contact, uh, a company called Selver that I think is on the Warsaw Stock Exchange. There's a lot of like really cool indoor wayfinding and positioning uh, technologies coming out of Poland. Mm-hmm. But I only say that because I see you have a Warsaw sticker yeah, I mean, uh, on your laptop. Yeah, I was laptop. just looking for something
1: that <laughs> doesn't require the hardware. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's just for the most museums in Poland, it's just way too expensive. For sure, to yeah. Invest mm-hmm. in that. And I was just wondering, maybe, I think there might be a difference between Europe, Poland, and U.S. Do you know uh, what's the percentage of the smartphones, the mobile devices that support that AR
0: uh, technology that you've
1: been presenting? Or is it like a, is it an issue?
0: So uh, it's going to vary. I don't have an exact number, but the adoption curve on, for instance, iOS devices, the the example that I showed there, um, it'd be easy enough to find that number and tweet it or post it. Um, So I I don't have a hard number there, but it's probably going to be any type of device within the last two years. Um, so I think for like ARKit, which is one of the underlying mm-hmm. frameworks, it's like, uh, don't quote me on this, I think it's like iOS 6S and newer. Like if you have a 6, it won't work, but 6S and newer. Um, but there are things that aren't ARKit, and there are mm-hmm. things that, you know, like the electromagnetic thing isn't going to be reliant on the camera mm-hmm. view, for instance.
1: And um, it is not something worth to say, that uh, in our specific case, if it's helpful. Um, it we realized that the technology we're using was not mature enough. Uh, so we are aware that the technology is not perfect yet, but it is important to start understanding it um, and dive in with the companies that are probably further into that research uh, and application.
0: Yeah. And a lot of them I feel are super hungry to work with mm-hmm. cultural organizations because so many of their use cases are completely uninspiring. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that Um, things like partnering with the Detroit Institute of Art was probably Mm -hmm. a really, really exciting prospect for Google and just even Mm -hmm. seeing the stuff that Apple's doing now with their art tours to really get people Mm -hmm. jazzed up. I think museums have an opportunity to, um, you know, to be that, to be that inspiration. Apple do uh, art tours? Yeah, yeah. So there are these Mm -hmm. AR art tours with um, prominent contemporary artists like Nick Cave. But they're only available in certain cities. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so mm-hmm. stuff like that. Because big tech has a lot. They've done a lot of bad in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, and people are kind of up in arms. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. they're trying to fool us that they mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, <laughs> my, my thoughts aside. So like when you look at Facebook, Spark. Uh, Facebook has partnered with the Tate or the National Gallery.
1: I, I want to say the National Gallery. Yeah, that's, I to, that's, right. to,
0: that's to make us forget about all of the uh, stuff that we know. <laughs> buying of And other. if it's isn't any
1: <laughs> any help, I was having a really interesting conversation with the CEO of Niantic, so they, they did Pokemon That's Go. That's so cool. <laughs> um, and what he was saying is that we are out to watch out for how indoor wayfinding will be addressed within the next year. So it's a pay, pay attention to it. Um, you will see a number of companies popping up. Um, so yeah, observe how that's progressing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
0: Niantic is publishing some extraordinary mm-hmm. demos. I was talking to someone right outside before the session about occlusion, and then I knew mm-hmm. Niantic did this like mind-blowing Thing they used the Pikachu as the like example running around. I it's mean, it's fascinating yeah, because amazing. just
1: when we started the project, what we could do then has yeah. evolved dramatically. I mean that that's and you know that's something to consider. You know, if you are a smaller museum, if you don't have a, a budget to experiment the way that we did, things are becoming more accessible, more affordable, um, better, faster. <laughs> yeah.
0: Great. Well, thank you. Thank you everybody. Uh, Thanks for coming. I know it's Friday. Have a safe trip back to wherever (laughs) your city is and thank you for spending some time with us.